Welcome, welcome, welcome to an Evolved Review. This is part of our brand new entertainment platform, Entertainment Evolved. I am James Caleb Kitchens, and I am joined today with my co-host, Caleb Stovall. Caleb, how's it going? Hey, man, what's going on? You know, just being quarantined here on this rainy day, just like everyone else, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, we had a little bit of uh, spare time with the the quarantine going on here, so... Uh, we decided we would get this uh, kind of video podcast off the ground. Uh, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be reviewing and just sort of discussing in depth the uh, the wrestling documentary Dark Side of the Ring, which is very popular. Uh, I've just recently started watching it myself, uh, and uh, you know we're going to talk a little bit more about it here. Uh, we're going to be talking about the very first episode today, so if you haven't seen it yet, uh, you won't get a whole lot out of this, so go check out the episode. And then come back and see us, and we'll get a little more in-depth with it. Um, the very first episode of Dark Side of the Ring, Randy Savage and uh, Elizabeth. So that's that's what we're going to go with today. And you, like I said, you can see this episode on YouTube. You can see it on Hulu. You can see it on Google Play. Um, and so we're going to talk a little more in-depth about it, about the the narrator, about the the speakers that are on there, and just sort of the content in general and how it's affected us over the years. Yeah, sounds great, man. Well, before we get into the meat and potatoes of it, I want to I want to thank our sponsor here today, um, 4EY Designs. Uh, hit up Matthew Campbell over there. Uh, he does an amazing job uh, with graphics artwork. He actually, if you uh, you see that Evolved Review logo up there in the top right hand corner, um, he uh, he actually made that Evolved logo. If you see the Entertainment Evolved logo, he did the work on that. Um, and so, yeah, you, you see his contact information there on the screen. You can hit up his social media. Uh, you can hit up his website for eydesigns.com. Uh, and he does amazing work. Um, if you're familiar with uh, viral pro wrestling, he also, which, uh, Mr. Stovall and I are both involved with, he does all the uh, graphic work for that now too. So, um, hit him up. He does an amazing job. And with that, uh, we're going to get into, uh, the meat of the episode here. Um, so, Caleb, what, what's kind of your overall thoughts on on this first episode here with the the tragic story of Macho Man Randy Savage and Miss Elizabeth? Well, it, it, it's interesting because like I feel like it's kind of um, that set the tone episode for what this series is kind of trying to do. Um, you know, a lot of the times when you see like outsiders. Uh, I, I I don't know if the term is if, if that's necessarily the term, but either outsiders or um, people who are not necessarily involved in wrestling that do a documentary series. A lot of the times, it's always focused on the very negative aspects of wrestling. It's always right. don't do this because it does this to you, or 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 this is how it is and everything. When the reality is, you know wrestling is is just like any other job where it's kind of like you make it your own experience and stuff like that and people have very successful experiences such as the macho man i mean let's face it he's you know one of the biggest of all time but i think that this definitely showed you though what they were going for they wanted to show the respect to wrestling but as well show you that yes there are these dark stories and 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 there are these you know, stuff that you don't necessarily want to hear about the business, but it happens, you know, it just, it, it, life happens that way. And, um, 
that's why I, that, that's when I've really become a fan of the show for that reason. Um, I, I think that they do a great job of balancing the two and, and kind of make your own uh, kind of uh, judgment on it and stuff like that. Yeah, that, that's actually a great perspective. I agree. A lot of your wrestling documentaries, it's either one of two things, right? You've either got this incredibly like narrow, like insider perspective on the business where only other people in the business are going to understand it or care about it. And then you have the other thing, which is like the 2020 episode where it's just kids backyard wrestling hitting each other with light tubes or, um, you know, um, we'll get into this in a later episode. The, uh, you know, the Chris Benoit story and how it was portrayed in the media and how that evolved over time. Um, So, you know, there's definitely sort of this uh, polarized kind of uh, outset when it comes to uh, wrestling documentaries. Like you said, it's either incredibly positive but really insider and sort of like a, a fanboy kind of view on it, or it's incredibly negative and it's completely outside. So I think the people who do dark side of the ring, you can tell they have a reverence for the art. Um, and you could tell this by the people that they get to narrate some of these episodes. This first episode is narrated by Dutch Mantel, who's a legend in the wrestling business. Exactly. Legend in the wrestling business. So um, yeah, let's actually um, let's talk about, um, you know, this, the Randy Savage story and how this kind of affected you and I on a personal level. Um, so for me, uh, this was sort of something that I enjoyed in retrospect, right? So, um, I was always a fan of WCW from the time that I was like five years old, uh, up until probably 2001. Right. And, and so everything WWF prior to like 2000, 2001, I went back and experienced that. Um, so, this was not something that I experienced as it was happening. Uh, and I really would have been too young to anyway. Uh, I was born in 87. But, uh, you know, you even not experiencing this firsthand, you always sort of, when you got into wrestling, you understood that Randy Savage and Elizabeth were sort of like this top, like, power couple. They were the couple in wrestling. It's it's basically, uh, in my opinion, the best romance storyline that's ever been done in pro- pro wrestling at least on a national or international level yeah uh, one of the things i kept hearing about it and what i've always heard from from that story is that they were really the first couple right wrestling. uh you know not nobody really tapped into that side of pro wrestling it, it was always you know really before really before the wwf you know and, and i love how they even called it the wwf they didn't call it the wwe and everything like that but um Back then, you know, no one really tried to do those type of storylines. It was just, you know, basically like a sporting event. And then, you know, of course, the WWF started with the entertainment and stuff uh, aspect of it. And, uh, yeah, they were really like the first couple of pro wrestling. And it, it was always just whatever they did with the two of them, it just was great television because they understood their roles and they understood their characters. Yeah, and you could really, you know, as this episode covered, you could you could always tell that you know there was a, a real life aspect to it there, um, and you know even if you didn't know that they were married behind the scenes because this is back when kayfabe was very much still alive, uh, you definitely could tell that there was a incredible like chemistry between the two of them. Even going back and watching the footage, um, you know, even knowing what we know now, I mean, going back and watching it, I mean, they just had this incredible like on screen on screen chemistry. 
that you really don't even see out of like professional actors. I mean, you go see a movie that's, you know, uh, that's designed as a love story. It's got two of the top build, you know, actors in the, in the world on there and there's no chemistry in between them at all. Yeah. You know, and a lot of wrestling couples, you know, today just don't even match up to what Macho and Liz did, you know, because everyone can kind of just see the difference now. And everyone's a lot smarter, too, you know, kind of thing. But uh, and plus a lot of relationships, which we do see in the documentary, unfortunately, which I'm sure we'll get to. But, you know, a lot of relationships in the wrestling business don't work out because it's, it's a tough, tough business. You know, there's. There's politics involved, there's travel involved, there's all of this stuff. And, and, you know, one wants something different than the other. You know, uh, Macho, you know, wanted to keep going and stuff like that. Liz at one point wanted to, you know, get off the road and stuff like that. So it, it can put a strain on your relationship. So I, and I think that's why they don't really do it a lot nowadays, you know. And well, something that they touched on a little bit in this documentary, too, was Elizabeth was the first female that got to that level uh, in the wrestling business without ever actually stepping in the ring, having a, a match. So she was not a wrestler. And and it's interesting that you talk about today, you know, kind of the, trying to have a relationship in the business is today. A lot of times there is that struggle back and forth where, you know, the, the, the guy in the relationship or the girl in the relationship, they both are trying to look out for their own careers. Right. Um, it's very rare that you have somebody that's a valet only today. Every, you know, almost every female in the game is a wrestler. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, the business has definitely evolved in, in, in that sort of um, aspect, I guess. Right. And and as someone who is uh, a booker in the in the wrestling business, you mm-hmm. cannot you're never going to be able to, you know, whether two people in a relationship or not, you're never going to be able to uh, kind of tiptoe around. Uh, looking out for everybody's, you know, long-term like kind of career goal for themselves and also, you know, putting on a compelling product. So there's always going to be a push and pull there. And so I think it's incredibly hard, probably more difficult today um, to try to have a relationship on the road. Yeah, I, I, I can definitely see that. Like I've, um, you know, I've seen people working with viral and uh, working with flatline uh, back in the day and stuff like that. You know, I, I would see, you know, kind of how hard it was on on some couples. You know, because you would see them hanging out in the locker room and stuff like that, but you could just tell that there was, you know, just this like, eh, I don't really like what you do, kind of thing. Yeah. Kind of thing. but it happens you know and um, that's just that's just the nature of the business sometimes but i think when you add in a certain level of fame to that then it then it becomes really tumultuous at times. right yeah i mean uh, you, you know the wrestling business is is full of people with egos and you know and i've said this a lot about uh the business in general is not everybody can handle it. And I don't necessarily mean the physical aspects of it. Of course, there's that. Um, but when you get into, when you go out there in that ring and people are chanting your name, there's just, there's something in some people that they just cannot handle that. And it, 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 can, it can have you, even if you're not an egotistical person, if you're not a self-centered person, you can start to believe your own hype. And, um, you know, some, like I said, some people just cannot handle that. Some people start to believe it. And, um, you know, so that's tough in general. So you throw a relationship into that mix where you have somebody who's 
having to have that, you know, sort of deal with that person that you can become on a personal level. And that's not to say everybody. Um, you know, some of the most humble people I know, are, you know, are also some of the most over people out there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, some people handle it incredibly well. Some people know, hey, this is a job. Hey, this is a work. And then some people get into believing they're on hype. And it, it does do something to you. It's very hard to resist that um, because I, there's just something about the human psyche that, you know, you get out there and you have 300 or 500 or 1,000 people chanting for you then, uh, you know, there's just something about that that's just, it's really invigorating is probably the word to use. Yeah, it's a feeling that you can't really describe to anyone. It's just you either experience it or you don't. Yeah. And a lot of people who have rose to fame in wrestling, well, I, should, I shouldn't really say a lot, but like, but like some people that we know that have rose to fame in wrestling have not been able to handle it. Right. Because they're just, whoa, whoa, I was not, you know, prepared for all of and stuff like that and plus like you know you talk about you know not having any free time you know you're constantly in the spotlight and once you get to that level you it's just nope you're in the spotlight 24 7 whether you like it or not especially nowadays with social media imagine if they had had social media back then yeah I mean, I can just see the, you know, uh, Macho Man posting to his Instagram story every day, cutting a promo on there or, or whatever. Um, and, and you know, the Slim Jim commercials would have been all over the place. Yes. Uh, they would so, have been more annoying than they are now. But just right. Something, since we're talking about their relationship, this is something that occurred to me while I was watching the episode. I want to know your thoughts about it. Um, yeah. I, as I was watching, you know, the, listening to them sort of talk about, how Randy was always so obsessive and how they, they, you know, kind of made that into the angle where he would go out and everybody liked her, but they didn't like him. And he, he would kind of do these things that were like borderline abusive to her out in, in the match or whatever, or put her in harm's way. And then they would, she would just stick with him and they would go right back to being the couple. Do you think that the Joker and Harley Quinn relationship was sort of based around that fact? Ooh, uh, well, you would probably know that answer better than I would, but, um, yeah, you know, possibly, um, possibly the Joker and Harley Quinn have always, well, they've had a very strange relationship in general, but yeah, um, I mean, I, but let's be honest though, you know, like the way that they did that with Macho and Liz was absolutely brilliant for its time. Right. You know, that was that was just oh my god, that's brilliant story uh, storytelling, and you had the perfect two characters to pull it off. Had it been anybody else, nobody would have even remotely cared. They would, they, it would not have rose the heights that it did. But because the Macho Man was not only you know it, it looked like he was you know I guess controlling and abusive or whatnot, but then you just add in his 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 explosiveness in the ring and that charisma every time he could have seriously easily the most imitated wrestler of all time Ooh yeah everyone in that documentary had a macho man voice even linda hogan had a or or linda balea i guess that's not her name anymore but but she had a macho impersonation (laughs) Yeah, that's one of the things as I was watching the episode, I was actually noting it down and I was and, and I and I want to in a little bit, we're going to talk about some of the people who spoke on this uh, episode. Right. And and I want to talk about like who 
maybe had the best uh, Macho Man impression. Or uh, so, uh, so yeah, that's that's definitely something we should get to. But on that note, though, what what you were saying, both of them, both Macho Man and Elizabeth, were legends and icons separately. Um, Elizabeth should be in the Hall of Fame all day long. Um, You know, both of them were their own sort of iconic. Uh, character and iconic person and 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 just a integral part of the wrestling business and then you put the two of them together and now you've got this ultimate power couple um and i mean it just it left a lasting impression uh on the business and 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 i remember watching too just the interviews and stuff like that that they were doing like like when he's like, ooh, see a picture of Mr. Elizabeth, but no Macho Man looks very bad. Elizabeth <laughs> her and stuff like that. And a lot of people might look at that and go, oh, well, he is abusive. He is controlled. I don't think he ever once did that to Miss Elizabeth. In fact, I think he would hurt himself before he would hurt Elizabeth like that. Like in in real life, I'm not talking about in front of the in front of the camera. Obviously, he's gonna you know do that kind of stuff because that's what the heel's supposed to do. He's supposed to be a bad guy, and he did it very well. Macho Man is one of those people. You know, you watch this documentary, and he you realize that he is one of those guys that it didn't matter whether or not you told him to be the most hated guy or the most beloved guy, it was gonna happen either way. The fans just gravitated towards him. And they gravitated toward Miss Elizabeth, her, her her beauty, her 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 charisma. You know, she might not have had the explosive personality or whatnot, but she just had this, you know, just oh, she looks like a fairy tale come to life kind of thing. And um, just the two of them played it so good uh, and everything like that. Um, but I, I just remember watching some of those clips, and I'm thinking like it was almost like they were kind of positioning it like it was like, Oh yeah, this is, this is how he really was. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's over the top. Like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He, and and here's the thing is, you know, they talk about it in the episode a little bit that they, you know, they, he was, he was the heel. She was the baby face WCW. They flipped the script and now she was the heel. He was the baby face and they, they always pulled it off. Um, my earliest kind of memory of Randy Savage where I, you know, really started getting into his stuff was his feuds with uh, DDP and WCW. Um, If you don't know this and you're seeing this for the first time, you don't know this about me. I'm a huge Diamond Dallas Page mark. Um, And so uh, when I was a kid, I mean, he was just my hero idol. I watched everything he ever did um, several times. If, if he was going to be on, you know, WCW Saturday morning, I was going to be up at 10 a.m. or whatever to watch WCW Saturday morning. Screw the cartoons. And this was back before DVR. You know, if I missed Beast Wars, I, I couldn't go back and watch it, you know, or Batman animated series. I, that was it. You had to choose what you wanted to watch. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, I remember those days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. WCW Worldwide and then Thunder or whatever, whatever programming WCW had that he was on, I was going to watch it. And so his view of the Macho Man, I hated Macho Man because he was the heel, you know, going in uh, to that. And he would just, he would just beat the shit out of DDP. And, you know, I'm sitting there like screaming at the television. Uh, You know, the, the, the wonders of professional wrestling before, you know, what's behind the scenes, like when it's 
when it's not a work to you and it, and you believe it, uh, you know, it's just, uh, sometimes you just want to go back to that, you know, to being able to have that kind of, uh, emotion with it. Oh, I know. Uh, like, cause I remember during the whole NWO storyline, I remember the, like the entire time that was when I thought, you know, pro wrestling was a, was a legit sport. Like I thought, I thought, Oh wow. You know, so this is, uh, so th- these are sports guys and, and stuff like that. Now you, you go back and you watch it and you look at that and, and, and you look at some of that stuff and then, you know, the attitude era and stuff like that. And you just go, how did I ever think that this was real? Right. <laughs> because it's, uh, people coming back from the dead and, brothers you know fighting after a brother's been burned to death and everything and there was even there was a there was a damn episode of the attitude era i'll never forget it um it, it was they were embalming uh stone cold steve austin alive, yeah. and i was like i just went oh god like i watched that back recently and i went oh lord i i can't show this to people they they will not take it seriously yeah, most most of the engineer was like that. But you know, you, you talk about, and that's one thing that, that we haven't really talked about the Macho Man uh, just yet. But we forget how good this guy was in the ring. Right. I mean, he's one of those guys. You hand him a broomstick, he can make a five star match out of it. Yeah. He, he was that good. You know, one of the matches that everyone talks about still to this day, many consider it one of the greatest matches, maybe the greatest match of all time, which was him and Ricky Steamboat. And it's funny, before we continue, it's funny to me that Steamboat does not get the credit that he deserves because anyone realizes that he is that he is in regards to two of the greatest matches of all time, him and Macho Man and him and Ric Flair. Right. Yeah, uh, and and the other the guy across the ring from him in both of those matches is overly credited for uh, for the success of those matches just because you know Flair and Savage you know um, are just they're on another level you know Steamboat is definitely an icon a legend in the business he's a Hall of Famer but you look at um, you know there's that sort of you know God tier in uh, pro wrestling that you can get to that only a few people have ever gotten to and flair and savage hogan and stone cold and the rock they're all on that level uh and and that's it's a business yeah it's i mean you're talking about the elite the best of the best right um you've got when you've got rappers in today's day and age that know who rick flair is and make a whole song after him and he's in the video yeah, exactly. Like he's in the video. He also did a live performance with them and everything like that. Um, yeah, that's when you know that you have transcended pro wrestling. Like, yeah. Like there's no one any. There's nothing anyone can do to your legacy, basically. Um, but Macho Man, you know, it's funny because I thought him and Flair had some really great matches. Especially uh, their time in WCW. I remember um, the Great American Bash, 1995, and he was uh, gaining revenge for his father, Angelo Papo, and they brought him into the storyline. Ric Flair attacked his father and everything like that. So the setup for the Great American Bash, 95, which was actually the return of the Great American Bash at the time for WCW. It had been away for about three or four years. 
And so Macho Man and Ric Flair were the main event. And they had an awesome matchup. It almost got a five-star uh, review from Dave Meltzer on that, which is, you know, neither here nor there sometimes. But, um, you know, for the most part, though, like for it to be considered that good of a match, especially at 95 and especially um, at their age at the time, you know, that just goes to show you that they are just two of the tops ever uh, in the business. But here's a question, though, that I've always had that many people say this about Macho Man. Was he one of those guys that really liked to go over the match move for move for move and made sure that, like, they got it right out there? Yeah. Um, more obsessively. I mean, you know, obviously I was never in the room, right? But I have been in the room with a lot of incredible, you know, talent. And I will say that the stories that I hear about Macho Man make it seem like he was more obsessive than anybody. So, uh, and, and, you know, while we're on this note, this is actually probably a good time for us to tar- start talking about the people uh, who spoke on the documentary because I have I have a story that's absolutely relevant to this. So, okay. so Jake the Snake Roberts. Another all-time great. Um, one of the he he is known as one of the best, if not the best, from a psychology perspective of all time. Yeah. Um, easily, which is why he's being used on AEW. Um, and I had the privilege of sitting in um, on a panel that he did at, at Dragon Con uh, last year in Atlanta, uh, 2019. And when I say that this panel changed my life and like my outlook on life. It was one of those things where you left the room and you really felt like you had connected with the speaker and that, um, it gave you a different perspective on everything and not to go off in a Jake Roberts episode. Cause if there's not a Jake Roberts episode of dark side of the ring at some point, then I don't know what they're doing. Cause he has just such an amazing story. Um, but you know, I, I don't want to go too far into it, but you know, he talked about, you know, sort of his sort of rise, uh, in the business and, you know, his, his fall in the business and, you know, a lot of the shortcomings that he had and then how, uh, you know, Diamond Dallas Page, you know, basically like saved his life. And, uh, one of the things he talked about is he went in depth into the, uh, the story that we see in the documentary. He spent probably about 20 minutes talking about that, about the, you know, uh, how Savage spent 30 minutes going over just the, the, the bite from the snake and, you know, yeah. And, and, and not only went over it, he told Jake, uh, you basically, you need to snake bite you. Yeah, yeah, and, and he did. And, and and he sat there and watched him and made sure he didn't take any pills or, you know, anything like that for uh, for 30 minutes uh, to make sure that, you know, the snake really had, you know, didn't uh, have any uh, venom uh, that he'd been fixed, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, I think that he was like that about every aspect of the match. And that's one of the things Jake Roberts talked about uh, in that panel is that, yes, he wanted to go over everything repeatedly down to the very last detail because he was a perfectionist, um, you know, and to the point that he could never really be happy with anything. Um, That match with Ricky Steamboat uh, kind of haunted him because it is considered by many to be one of the greatest, if not the greatest match of all time. And so he, he always was trying to surpass that. He was always trying to get, you know, to, to that level. And I don't, you know, he's not here, unfortunately for us to ask him, 
if he ever feels like he he got back to that level or transcended it. But you know that is something from somebody who's a perfectionist. That's that's kind of the curse, right? Being a perfectionist. If you ever do manage to get something together that you consider to be perfect or almost perfect, you're going to spend forever tr- like living in the shadow of that thing. Oh yeah, because you can never recreate perfection like that. It just kind of happens, you know. It's organic. Even even if you do go over the move seventy five times in the back, you know, it's still it just you know it comes out the way it comes out. You know, it's one take, you're done. Basically. Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, just me personally, I I've experienced that with, you know, uh, you book an angle and it and it gets over really well and everyone loves it, and then you're like. Oh God! Well, now I have to top this, and then you do something. It's like, ah, well, that didn't top it. All right, well, now you know. So you're forever living in the shadow of your own success at that point. Once once you do that, um, and you know, and I'm way less of a, of a perfectionist than Savage was, so I can only imagine what must have been going through his head. Um, speaking of Jake Roberts, he uh, to me has the best impersonation of Randy Savage. I mean, it's just perfect. It, it's spot on. Yeah, yeah, I love uh, I love when he was uh, talking about it um, he, when Savage asked, "Is it fixed?" Fuck yes, fucking <laughs> Cobra, you dumbass. <laughs> Jake is just you know Jake is just so entertaining. And I didn't mean to you know cuss on that, but I was saying what he was saying. But no worries, um, we're we're, yeah. we're we're a light PG thirteen in here. All right. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I loved um, his. But I love the introduction for Jake, it, where Scott Hall losing brand new heavens, beautiful ceremony. Now cue the devil, <laughs> and Jake just goes, "Yeah, that's such a great scene." <laughs> but Jake Roberts, you know, Jake. I have to tell this story about Jake Roberts for me personally. So. My dad uh, worked at WGAC when I was a child and everything like that. And um, I was, I guess, just getting into wrestling and stuff like that. I I was getting more and more familiar with it. And I knew Jake Snake Roberts. Like, I I knew that character. I had never really seen his old stuff or anything like that. But I I knew of him. And so he comes in to do an interview on my dad's radio show for Harley Drew, or yeah, Drew, Mary Liz, and um, Matt Stovall. Harley Drew, Mary Liz, and Matt Stovall in the mornings on WJC. Wow. He comes in to do an interview, and he gives me an autographed picture of him signed signed by him, and uh, he's got his snake and everything, and he is with my dad, and he has got the snake, like, beside my father and everything like that. I'm just like... Dad, what were you thinking? He's like, he's like holding in. <laughs> That's what he said, was just hold it in. <laughs> so, um, but Jake, from what I can tell, you know, it's, it's, it's probably, it's funny that he plays such an evil, sinister character because he, he's actually one of the nicest guys you've ever seen in your life. Yeah, he come, comes across as such a, a really caring guy. He does, but when he, but when you put that camera in front of him, man, I don't think even the best Marvel villain can stand up to Jake Roberts. I agree. I, really I like he just like if you've seen recently his stuff on Dynamite that he did, 
especially his introduction thing. Like when he came out and interrupted Cody, I was like, oh my God, like, like where has this promo been? And then you saw him, you know, doing the Lance Archer one where he's just sitting there with the fire. And I'm just like, oh my God, just, he hasn't lost a step. And he's so good at storytelling. And um, I just, I loved his stories about Randy. I love the way that he told them. And, you know, they're telling stories and they're telling events that happen and everything like that. But there's still, you know, there's still that entertainment aspect of even when it, you get in front of a camera, you've got to, you know, you got to sell it, basically. And right. uh, I love Jake Roberts, um, you know, hearing, I love hearing, I could listen to him for days, basically talk about the wrestling business because he's just so good. I loved how he said that, like, basically he was, he was pissed at Randy for making that snake bite him. He's like, he's, he's like, I'm pissed, brother. So, like, he basically goes and paint brushes the snake. Yeah. And then the snake latches on, and McMahon is yelling at him, and he's like, he's like, I'm trying, man. I'm, try- I'm trying to get it off of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and yeah, he just can't. He can't get it off of him. Uh, yeah. And that would that would make me like like if I was in that position right there with the snake, I, I'm just like somebody get him off me. Like I'm gonna break character right now. I'm going to turn into a bitch right now on TV. It's gonna ruin everything. <laughs> get him off. <laughs> right. Yeah. I like that story, but the story that that surprised me was the one when Jake was telling uh, was talking about that night. I believe it's um called. Uh, Tuesday night uh, was it Tuesday night Titans or was or it was a showdown in Texas is what it was and um, Macho Man versus Jake Roberts and it's funny because I recently just went back and watched this event um, it was Jake Roberts and it was Macho Man Randy Savage you know facing each other Liz comes down and tries to get involved and you know that's where he slapped them and everything like that I did not realize that there was actually real backlash on Jake Roberts for that incident from Liz's family to Macho Man. They were like, don't you come, like, you promised our little girl would never get hurt. And even Randy at that point was probably like, hey, man, it's a show. He didn't actually. (laughs) Yeah. Well, maybe maybe he was and maybe he wasn't. You know, back then, uh, people were a lot more protective about the business. That's true, and, and yeah. if, you, if you were crazy inside the ring, you were crazy outside the ring. Like you know, you you lived your gimmick. Bruce Pritchard said it in the best. And you know, if, if we're talking about storytellers in this, I disagree with him a lot. You know, it's it's hard to tell a lot of the times when when he's kind of I guess kayfabing you, I guess or whatnot. But I, I do love the way Bruce Pritchard tells uh, tells a story. Right, I really. Yeah, it's some, something that probably won't be, you know, we really don't have to get uh, into it as much as on this episode, but on some of these episodes as we do them in the future, um, you know, we're going to talk about, you know, are these people reliable narrators? Do they have a reason to lie, right? Um, you know, uh, and so I, I don't want to get ahead of myself and talk about other episodes, but, you know, some of them, uh, the the people who speak on the documentary, they have their own agenda, Right. Either they're trying to paint themselves in a certain light, positive or negative, or paint another person in a certain light, positive or negative. Uh, So so on this one, though, I don't think that's really the case. I I think everybody that spoke on this one has a pretty significant reverence for the body of work. If 
you know, if not on a personal level, at least the body of work of both Miss Elizabeth and Macho Man. Yeah, I definitely didn't get the sense of anyone was trying to hide anything. They were just kind of trying to tell just the story of the two. And not just the two, but, you know, basically, I guess, why their life was kind of cut short um, and everything. It really puts it uh, in perspective. But, yeah, I, I loved hearing Bruce Pritchard on there. Uh, Jimmy Hart, you know, on there. Jimmy Hart um, is a genius in his own right. I mean, a lot of the music that you heard, a lot of the cool music that you heard for WCW and some of WWE back in the day, was um was due to Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart uh, was the one that wrote um Hulk Hogan's theme song for WCW. The uh, I guess Aerosmith version or something or whoever right. did that uh, song. But yeah, uh, he wrote that and he wrote um, a number of other stuff for WCW. You can hear Bischoff uh, talk about him all the time um and everything and of course eric bischoff was involved uh in this one is it just me or does or could you literally put a picture of eric bischoff and just wearing a black suit basically and have devil horns out of his like head like he looks like just when you see pictures of him i'm just like dude you could literally like look like you were the headmaster or something. well you know not not to get too far into bischoff but you know, I, I am a huge fan of Eric Bischoff and his contributions to the wrestling business. Uh, not to say that, you know, I'm not also critical of him. He, he he definitely made a lot of mistakes, but a lot of the things in WCW that went really incredibly wrong, like, you know, crushed the company wrong, were really out of his hands. Um, and he is the only person in the history of the wrestling business to take on Vincent Mann and win consistently. And now he lost in the end, ultimately, like everyone else always has. But he is the only person to take a punch from Vincent Mann and punch him back and knock him off his feet from a metaphorical standpoint, from a success standpoint. Um, And and I I credit him with that. Um, We also had another legend on here, uh, which was uh, Scott Hall. Um, and, And something I thought was interesting here we talked about agendas a minute ago, so um, there there may be one instance of it on here. So Scott Hall, um, you know, we get later into the documentary where things have fallen apart. Miss Elizabeth has gotten uh, into a relationship with Lex Luger. Mm. Um, yeah, I didn't realize the circumstances too surrounding that relationship. I did not know that they were fooling around when Lex was married. Yeah, yeah, and I mean. Um, from some people that I know that are um, sort of like uh, friends of him and his family, um, you know, to this day, you know, Lex is incredibly uh, just kind of, I don't know if tra- traumatized is the word, but he definitely still is dealing every single day with the circumstances surrounding her death. And I mean, I would be too if I was in that situation. But what's interesting is, you know, Lex kind of admits on the 911 call that they were, you know, doing uh drinking wine and popping pills and um you know bischoff talks about them being drugged up all the time but then uh linda hogan uh, uh or belia or whatever she's going by now says she spent a lot of time around miss elizabeth and never saw that so do you did you get the idea that she was kind of trying to 
um, skew everything like towards a more positive kind of view on Elizabeth? Or do you think that may that Elizabeth just kind of hid it from her and she never let her see that side of her? Uh, I think I think it's more Liz just didn't show that side of her because I I don't think that the two hung out as much when you know that incident with Hulk and uh well not Hulk and Randy but the incident where you know Liz wanted to get away from Randy so she went down to the vacation home with them while Hulk was filming Mister Nanny at the time. And then, you know, that's when she got herself into a little bit of trouble and Randy came down and everything and was mad and stuff like that. And that really strained the relationship between Hulk and Randy. And I don't think that she necessarily spoke like I don't think she hung out with Linda as much as she did in like her WWF days. Basically, I don't think that they hung out a lot after like after WWF, I think more so during WCW, they didn't really um, hang out as much because the relationship between Hulk and Randy was just kind of too strained at that point. But it's funny that we say that because, you know, they immediately, they both go to WCW and they, what, what did they do? They immediately form back into a partnership, you know? And, right. and, and they even said that on the documentary, which I found just so fascinating. I went so... He's divorcing this woman, but yet he calls her up and says, no, you should come get a job here. Like, I'm like, uh, that would be the last thing I would want is to have my ex-wife where I work. <laughs> well, it, it's, it sounds like they still had a lot of like respect for one another. And I think that's incredible to, you know, as far as the professionalism of both of them, that they were able to keep a working relationship even after that. Um, and you know, as, as obsessive as Randy was with her when they were together, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I think that's a huge testament to his character that he was, you know, that he was able to, uh, it, you know, put all that aside and still get a contract secured for her and, yeah. and still wanted her involved. That, that tells me that, you know, kind of regardless of, uh, some of the circumstances around their relationship and how he may have treated her at times that he definitely respected her from a professional standpoint. Yeah. And they made it, um, they made it, you know, clear on there that like, if, if Randy was loyal to you, he was loyal. Like if he, if he liked you, he really liked you and, and made sure you were taken care of uh, and stuff like that. But going back to what you were asking about, do I think that she was trying to cover up? I just, I, I don't think so. I think it was more that she just really did not see that side. Or if she did, she was oblivious to it. Which, that, which we can all be at times. That was kind of the opinion I had too. And, you know, due to sort of the these these documentaries, these episodes get into some pretty dark stuff. It's called Dark Side of the Ring for a reason. And, you know, if you've ever, if you've ever had a friend or a close person who was uh, you know, uh, who abuse drugs uh, a lot, especially like your harder drugs and things like that. Um, you know, those people become an expert at hiding those things from people that they know are going to think less of them or they believe will think less of them uh, because of it. Or maybe they don't want to get help and they think that person will force them to get help. You know, all sorts of reasons. It's hard to say what we go through somebody's mind, you know, once they get uh, to that level, especially where Bischoff was talking about that. Basically, they were pilled up all the time. Uh, yeah. 
you know, so it's it's hard to really understand what would go through somebody's mind there. But I, I'm with you. I think that uh, the the difference in this case is that you know Scott Hall uh, was doing drugs with them, so he knew they were doing drugs. Eric Bischoff yeah. was around them a lot because he was their boss, uh, and and Linda probably just had that hidden from her a lot, and that's that's a very real thing that you know that people that abuse drugs do um to their loved ones and it's a it's a very sad aspect of life that this kind of that this episode kind of shines that light on and i and i also feel as though you know they didn't necessarily mention time in in that episode like like when exactly around that time but i kind of felt like that the Liz and Lex Luger stuff started happening around 99 and 2000 and Hulk wasn't involved or wasn't involved because it wasn't involved, wasn't involved uh, with WCW as much uh, around that time, because that was when, that was when a lot of people were unhappy in WCW. That was when, you know, Vince Russo started coming in. That was when, whole bunch of management stuff happened that was when the AOL merger happened and stuff like that. So a lot of things were going on around. So, you know, I think obviously some people knew, but who was going to do anything? Who was right. in charge? Who was going to tell them, hey, stop doing that or we're going to, you know, get rid of your contract. That is one thing I'll say about Vince McMahon a lot of the times when he feels someone in his company is like messing up to that level. He will step in and be like, look, you know, you got to get your stuff together or I'm not, you know, employing you basically. And there we'll definitely talk about that in other episodes, you know, in the oh, future yeah, too. Yeah. It will come up. <laughs> I'm sure. And, and, and like I said, he doesn't do it with everyone, but I, you know, I feel as though in this case, let's just say if Macho and Liz were still in WWE at the time, he would have stepped in and been like, okay, that's enough. Right. I, I think so, too. Yeah. Now, is he going to do that for everyone? No. And, you know, the, to his, uh, you know, defense at times, does, I mean, do you think people, like, actually, like, go out in the open and do that in front of him? No. A lot of them keep it hidden. They're like, you know, they don't tell anyone or they don't do it in front of anyone. Of course, Scott Hall and Lex Luger, they didn't care at the time. They just did it wherever they wanted to basically <laughs> right um yeah it's just it, it, it turned out though to be a tragic situation unfortunately yeah absolutely i think i i agree and you know this is this is one of those things where you know a lot of these episodes are tragic and this is one where you know uh, both people involved uh with this were taken from us too early and they were both legends in their own right mm-hmm um, so, uh, what's your, uh, you know, we kind of get our closing thoughts on the episode here. What, what's kind of your overall thoughts on the episode and what, you know, it, you know, I, I don't, you don't necessarily have to rank it, but, uh, you know, what, what did you think about this one and, and did you enjoy it? Uh, was it that, you know, did it shine a light on a lot of new things for you that you weren't familiar with already? Yeah. Um, again, my thoughts for it being the very first episode I think that it set the tone for what this series, like I said, is, is going to be, um, where it's like it's going to show you the, the highs of everything, but then it's going to show you the very lows of lows and stuff like that. And I thought that this one was the perfect way to start it off because it is a tragic situation, 
but it is one where there's a sense of closure, you know, um, in this episode and everything. And I think uh, the biggest thing that I take away from this is, you know, that that phrase that we hear so much in the business, but we don't really know what it is until we find ourselves in that situation, which is art imitating life. Right. And with Macho Man, there was a lot of art imitating life or life imitating art, you know, kind of thing, whatever you want to call it. And I think that, you know, what I got the most out of it, which is what everyone was saying was, was he was an amazing guy. No one said really anything bad about him. They never said that he was, oh, he was this abusive jerk to her. You know, that they said that's what he played and they made it very clear of that. Now, was he, was he controlling, you know, like, 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 was he protective or overprotective? Yes, they made that very clear uh, as well. And I think that that has a lot to do with just the wrestling business, you know, back then, especially being, uh, you know, kayfabe was protected and everything like that. Um, that I, unfortunately, that's what you had with a lot of wrestlers. And a lot of wrestlers that were given that character could not come out of the character. Macho yep. Man Willie Savage was that guy. He he was the definition of of not breaking kayfabe. Jake Roberts says in the episode he talks about some of the pranks that the guys would play on the road, and the exact quote is, "I would not want my wife around that shit." And you can't yeah. blame him. Yeah, and and uh, Eric Bischoff even said it. He was he was like, yeah, I I wouldn't blame him. I wouldn't want my wife around the boys like that. You know, this the boys are stupid sometimes. <laughs> like, um, and and that's just that just comes with juvenile humor, and and you know that also just uh, comes down to who's in charge, and you know who who keeps everything in line, basically. Um, which not a lot of people did back in the day. <laughs> even, right. even Vince McMahon himself, you know, like it, it was happening on his watch. So it's not like everyone put a stop to it right away um, and everything like that. But just what I got, though, um, out of everything, you know, what I got more was was this episode was a lot for her, though, as well, to show her legacy. Because a lot of the time she is eclipsed by the Macho Man at times. And you forget just how much of an important role she was to the whole thing, not just him. Right. And, and you know, for me, um, my, my final, kind of final thoughts in this episode, um, I, I, I agree with everything you said there. One of the things, I, this was probably the episode I was least kind of excited to, to watch. And, and honestly, if we hadn't started if we hadn't planned to do this show, I may not have even watched it yet. Um, you know, because, and this is something that this documentary has done for me several times and I'll I'll just, I need to just learn to trust them is I've said, you know, "Eh, I won't watch that one. I already know everything about that. They're not going to tell me anything new. Then I watch it and I'm completely blown away. And I find out there's a ton of interesting perspectives on there that you're not going to find on WWE network documentaries or some of the other stuff that you'll find out there on YouTube or, you know, shoot interviews. A lot of these, they, they get really good perspectives of people who are close to the situation. Um, and, uh, you know, people who have a, a, a working knowledge of the situation and, you know, generally they're uncovering a lot of things that typically haven't been made public knowledge before. So I really liked that about this episode and, and very much enjoyed it. 
Yeah, I, I did too. Like I said, it, it was the perfect uh, kickoff um, to the whole show, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, another thing too, a uh, thing that I didn't get to mention was, you know, Hulk Hogan was blamed, at, you know, for a lot of years for the split up of Liz and Randy Savage. And there's a lot of people in the in the documentary going, no, he didn't have anything to do with it. He was filming a damn movie. Like, you know, he, he's not going to, you know, figure out where Miss Elizabeth is. It's not his job, you know, kind of thing. And, um, wrong so, place, wrong time. Do what? He was in the wrong place at the wrong time, basically. Yeah, yeah. That's basically what it was. And I kept like, when I kept seeing the reenactment of it too, you know, cause they have the reenactments of it and you see macho pointing at Linda and I'm thinking, God, like, where is Hogan? Like, like, was he not there? And then, like, you see him come in, and I was just like, man, Randy, if that was, like, my wife and you were talking to her like that, you know, we'd have some fighting work. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely don't think I could beat the Macho Man in a, in a fight, but we would have been fighting either way. So, um, speaking of uh, great first episodes, um, so this has been the very first episode of an Evolved Review um, what we're going to do is we're going to bounce around a little bit. So our next episode that we're going to do is going to be from season two of Dark Side of the Ring. And it's going to be the Brawl for All episode. We're going to alternate with uh, a more current episode and then go back to season one and do a season one episode. So we'll we'll alternate those back and forth. Um, I want to take uh, one more moment to thank our sponsor this week for EY Designs. You can see their information there on the screen. Um, you can hit them up for any of your design needs. Um, and, uh, yeah, so thanks everybody for tuning in to this very first episode. Uh, Caleb, uh, thanks for joining me. Uh, it was a pleasure to have you here. Yeah, absolutely, man. man. Uh, you know, I love, you know, I love to talk about wrestling anytime. And if you want to hear me talk about more wrestling, if I can make a deep plug, Pl- plug it, plug it, baby. Uh, check, check me out on the Stovall Wrestling Network podcast, wherever you can find podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play Radio. We're on it. Uh, it's by uh, TMB Studios, and we talk about, well, you guessed it, wrestling. That's right. <laughs> so the Football Wrestling Network, we cover the past, the present, and possibly future. So check us out, podcast, Snowball Wrestling Network. Check it out. I'm even on a few of those episodes. Uh, this episode has been part of an Evolved review. You can find it on YouTube under Entertainment Evolved, or you can find it on Facebook under Entertainment Evolved or an Evolved review. Thanks, everyone.